Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. And as we uh, get into our message this morning, let me just give a giant shout out uh, to the dozens and dozens of people, <clears throat> excuse me, from Crossgate Church who participated in the one-day mission event yesterday right here in Hot Springs in Garland County. I believe we had 60 or 70 folks participate from Crossgate Church in partnership with at least 1,500 people from all over the state that descended upon Hot Springs and partnered with us and other local Bible-believing churches uh, to minister to our community. We, as a church, we had 14 different teams out across Hot Springs yesterday. We had uh, three door-to-door teams uh, doing evangelism and, and uh, c- contacting folks uh, at their homes. Uh, we had four lawn work teams that went out and, and literally cleared jungles out of some people's yards that hadn't been mowed in a long time. Uh, we had a uh, vacation Bible school, a um, no-sale yard sale, as well as a food distribution site at uh, Cutter School Campus. Huge shout out to uh, Cutter School for assisting us with that. Uh, we had prayer walk teams. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I don't even have all the numbers right now in terms of the types of, of results and fruit that we saw. I know that one lady that we visited with prayed to receive Christ yesterday. Uh, there were a number of contacts made, uh, personal contacts in terms of uh, just families that we met randomly in their homes or wherever who were in desperate need of the types of ministries that we offer at Crossgate Church, most specifically some of which on Wednesday night. So as I get with the pastors and our other key leaders uh, in this next week, we're going to talk about following up with so many of those folks. But folks, again, I mean, th- this is where we go. You know, you, you can't spell gospel without G-O, go. You can't spell good news without go. You can't spell God without go. God has called us to go into our community, and we're going to talk about that some this morning in Jeremiah 29. Now, we are, of course, continuing our teaching series uh, entitled, Welcome to Babylon. And uh, as I would just recap and remind you the emphasis here after we took a week off with our wonderful outdoor service last Sunday and saw several folks baptized and followed the Lord and believers' baptism, the premise of this series is this, God's people in the Old Testament were, were transplanted from Jerusalem to Babylon. And, and they went from a setting where their faith, their values, and their convictions were no longer the dominant worldview. And they found themselves in a situation where all of the things that they held dear, their faith, their values, and convictions, were marginalized, criticized, demonized by the people and the culture in which they were living. Say, does that sound like any place where you live today? I mean, all that we hold old dear is Jesus following people, people who have a high view of the Word of God and build our lives upon it. We are finding ourselves increasingly marginalized, criticized, and demonized by this world and this culture in which we live. And of course, the whole point of the series is to help us to see what God has to say, to help us as God's people survive and thrive to live maximum lives here in our own Babylon today. Now, a few weeks ago when we started this series, of course, we talked about things like the historical realities of of Babylon. We talked about the cultural and emotional realities. We talked about some of the, the reversals, the cultural reversals that we've experienced. And then we went specifically to Jeremiah chapter 29, which contains a letter that God wrote to his people in Babylon through the prophet Jeremiah 
giving them some very specific things to know about how to live and to thrive in Babylon. Uh, and then we're going to continue in Jeremiah 29 today, and then we'll wrap up Jeremiah 29 next week, and then we're going to go to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel's got some tremendous truth and wisdom for those of us who want to thrive in Babylon. By the way, speaking of next week, the topic for next week's message is healthy sexuality in Babylon, okay? Next week is healthy sexuality in Babylon, and as y'all probably know by now, Crossgate Church, we don't scare from any topic. Is that not right? I mean, we, we don't, listen, we will ask the question, what does the Bible say about any relevant topic in our world today? And as we continue to live in a hyper-sexualized culture, we've got to ask the question, what does the Bible say? Now, in the past, whenever we've talked about this topic, we have also offered a children's ministry time at the 9.30 hour for children ages 10 and below. Okay, so next Sunday, if you'd prefer for your child 10 and below to be engaged in children's ministry, we will have something for them, and we'll let you know more about that uh, for next Sunday. If your child is 11 or older, guess where they need to be next Sunday? Right here. Okay, right here, because they're already hearing about sexuality on the school campus and everywhere else. They might as well hear it from the Word of God. Amen? So, next Sunday, we're going to talk about healthy sexuality in Babylon. But let's go back to Jeremiah 29 and remind ourselves of this letter that God sent to his people. All right, here we go. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders, the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And it said, this is jumping down to verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. All right, I'm going to give you four things this morning straight from God's word in the passage we just read that's going to set you and your family up and me and my family up to have maximum lives, not just to survive, but to thrive in Babylon, okay? Here's the very first thing I want you to see straight from verse 5. Houses, not tents. All right, write that down. Houses, not tents. Now look in verse 5. God says, build houses. Now why did he tell them to build houses? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. He was communicating to his people that their stay in Babylon was not going to be in terms of days and weeks or even months, but their stay in Babylon was going to be in terms of years and years and years. Se 70 years, in fact, we come to find out they stayed in Babylon for 70 years. In other words, when he says build houses, he's saying, you ain't leaving anytime soon. So just settle down, embrace the realities as they are, and thrive as a people. Go ahead and just build your house because you're going to live here for a while. Now you will remember, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, uh, the, the first message that we gave in the Babylon series talked about a lot of the realities that were, I mean, a lot of the cultural realities that we face in this world today. 
and it talked about some of the emotional realities. I mean, the, the, the brokenheartedness so many of us have over the state of our nation, the state of our world, the state of our culture. And we talked about some of those realities. We talked about reversals, social, moral, cultural, spiritual reversals. So much of what we once knew and loved and enjoyed in our nation is no longer true, at least in terms of people experiencing it. And that's, that's where we're at. Now, I'll be honest with you that, that not everyone is happy to hear that message, to hear about these reversals. And I'll be honest, again, I'll be just very transparent with you this morning. I, I find myself to some degree in a state of denial. Sometimes I find myself in a state of denial that I, you know, I, I've lived long enough where, where I can see the downgrade in our nation from here to here. If you've seen it, I'd say if you're probably over 20 years old, you've already seen it. In fact, just the other night, my wife and I were talking just about the, just, just how far we've, we've fallen in the last two to three years. And, and, and this, 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 this increasing velocity downward in our nation. It's almost as if we're, well, it's almost as if we're standing around the bed of a dying loved one. And, 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 and the vital signs are dropping. And the doctor has called in the family. And, and, we're, and we're standing there knowing that there's not much time left. And I, yes, I don't mind telling you, I, I'm to some degree in a state of denial that, that, that I need to build a house and settle down in the midst of this and embrace the realities. You know, I think about even the, the grieving process as, as uh, outlined many years ago by the famous uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Five Stages of Grief. Listen to this. I, you could apply this so easily to to how we feel about our nation today. The first reaction people often have when learning about the death or impending death of a loved one is to deny that it has happened. That's because the reality is that none of us want to accept the fact that a person we love is no longer here and that we can no longer see or talk to them. Denial is also how we deal with what can be an overwhelming amount of emotion. In this way, denial becomes a defense mechanism to protect us from those overwhelming emotions. We want to bury our heads in the sand rather than address the fact that our loved one has died. Now just as it's possible to become weighed down with emotional denial and grief over the death of a loved one, I'm telling you, it is incredibly easy to become weighed down with emotional denial and grief when we long to somehow turn back the hands of time to a day when, when what was right and, and what was true and what was healthy and pure and all of these things held the high ground in our nation. And yet that's no longer the case. And the, the America that we once loved and enjoyed is on life support. I, I'm in a state of denial to some degree, folks. And yet God tells us in his word, you're in Babylon, build houses, settle down, embrace the realities, and thrive. Now, to embrace the realities doesn't mean that we affirm or we somehow agree with or we support, but I will tell you in the words of the famous American philosopher Morgan Freeman, you got to get busy living or get busy dying. And as believers in Jesus Christ, it's time to get busy living. The lives that Jesus has called us to live there's no more powerful witness in this world today than living right in the midst of the people of Babylon and yet being a shining city on a hill. Houses, not tents. Okay, here's the second thing you see in the passage. Look again in verse 5. Okay, gardens, not restaurants. All right, gardens, 
not restaurants. God told his people, plant gardens and eat their produce. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means in short order is this. When you're living in Babylon, you've got to get up and get after your own well-being. You can't wait around for a handout or someone else to come help you. You've got to look after your own well-being. In very plain language, what verse 5 tells us is that if we're going to thrive in Babylon, we've got to become self-feeders. Write that down. Self-feeders. You say, what is a self-feeder? Well, a self-feeder has several things true of, of them. One of which is this, they have taken responsibility for their spiritual growth. They have taken personal responsibility for their own spiritual growth and well-being. Second of all, a spiritual self-feeder is someone who has learned to be nourished and to be fed from God, and they're not having to depend on someone else to, to feed them. Certainly, as a baby, you depend on someone else to feed you physically, but eventually, you learn to feed yourself. Same thing spiritually. As a new Christian, certainly, the people should be pouring into you and feeding you like a spiritual baby. But to grow, you learn to feed yourself. And then here's one other thing that's true about a, a self-feeder. A self-feeder loves, learns, and lives the Word of God. Okay? Now, I want you to think for a moment in the Bible about the times, and there's many, I can just give you a few here, where God's word and God's truth is likened to food. Okay, it's likened to food. Here, here's some scripture. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. I found your words and I ate them, and your word became to me the gladness and joy of my heart. Here's another one from Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth. Job, the great man Job said this in Job 23 verse 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. And lastly, First Peter, I love this one, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now I will tell you folks, we will not thrive in Babylon unless we become self-feeders. If, if all we do is come to church on Sunday and we get fed at, at, at 9.30 or 11, and that's pretty much the extent of the, the spiritual food we get throughout the week, we will, we will suffer from spiritual malnutrition. We've got to become self-feeders. You say, how do you, how do you feed yourself? I mean, just well, you're talking in generalities here. Give me some specifics. Okay, I'm going to give you some specifics. And in order to become a self-feeder, Two things must be true. One, you've got to have a plan for reading through the Word. All right, you've got to have a plan for reading through the Word. And then in a moment, I'm going to talk to you about a, a plan for uh, reflecting on the Word. Let's talk about a plan for reading through God's Word. Okay? If, if you don't have a plan for how you are engaging with the Bible on a regular basis, I, I, I seriously doubt that you're actually reading the Bible, at least to a degree that, that will nourish who you are in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm so grateful for Pastor Keith Caps, our Next Steps pastor, who earlier this year developed the Crossgate Bible Engagement Plan. It's actually on our website. If you don't know that, it's at crossgate.org resources. It's right there. It's a tremendous two-year reading plan that will take you through the majority of the Bible in two years. Uh, the re and, and for anyone here who's a part of a discipleship group, a D group, you already know this because you're using most likely the reading plan uh, in, your, in your group, okay? But if you're not familiar with the reading plan, it's super simple. It's laid out by weeks. 
Uh, and each week only has you reading five chapters in the entire week from the Bible. And then there's one verse every week for scripture memory. Uh, and so in other words, all you have to do is read five chapters a week. Now I know that a very popular way to engage with the Bible and read the Bible over time is to try to read the whole Bible in a year. And I think that's incredibly noble and, uh, and, and commendable. But here's something I've noticed about the plan of trying to read the whole Bible in a year. You've got to read like five to seven chapters a day, every single day, to keep up with that plan. Again, nothing wrong with that, but I think for the vast majority of people, if you try to read five to seven chapters of the Bible in a day, you're going to just have barely enough time to even just get through that, and then as soon as you get done, you're just, boom, you're going to be on your way. No time to reflect. It's like sitting down to a plate of food and just going, no time to digest. No you're just, you're just going to be running on your way as soon as you chow down. The Bible engagement plan that we have on our website, five chapters a week, only one chapter a day. Why only one chapter a day? Because then you eat, but you still have time to reflect, and you still have time to digest. Uh, I, I, I prefer that, quite honestly, rather than trying to just whoosh my way through five to seven chapters a day. That's just, that's, that's my personal take. Now, for example, the Crossgate Bible Engagement Plan this week, we're on week 39, all right? And week 39 is Mark chapters 1 through 5, so the first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and the Scripture memory verse is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now, that's the plan, okay? Am I saying everyone's got to do that? I will tell you, you probably can't do much better than the Bible reading plan that we have put out for you. I would encourage you to check it out. But if you have your own Bible reading plan, that's wonderful too. But you've got to have a plan for reading through God's Word. But the flip side of that, the other side of the coin is this, a plan for reflecting on God's Word. Again, if you're just, just taking it in, but you're not having time to digest and reflect, you're probably not going to get the most out of uh, the Word of God. Okay, now again, at Crossgate Church, we, uh, this is probably a year and a half ago, we adopted the HEAR uh, journaling method, the H-E-A-R journaling method. And uh, this is taken from Robbie Gallaty's book, Replicate, that we have commended to you and recommended to you many times. Uh, the HEAR journal method is also kind of the primary way that we reflect and record our reflections on the Bible in our discipleship groups, but you can do the HEAR method even if you're not a part of a group like that. Basically what you do is you read your chapter for the day, and then uh, you just kind of pray about which verse in that chapter jumps out at you, the Lord is trying to speak to you, and, uh, and then you start journaling. So this is basically just an example, I hope you can read my handwriting, uh, this, is, this is from my own journal, doing a here method, uh, and just randomly I picked the one from Hebrews chapter 3. So let's just say my chapter for that week the chapters is Hebrews 1 through 5, and on whatever day I'm reading ch uh, Hebrews chapter 3. So I read through the whole chapter, and then I say, okay, what verse jumps out at me? Well, for me, Hebrews 3.13. So I'm going to write H, which stands for here, excuse me, for highlight, H-E-A-R. H stands for highlight. I'm going to highlight one verse, Hebrews 3.13, and then I, I just write out the verse. That's all you do to highlight the verse. Let, let us encourage one another as long as it is called today, so that we may not become ensnared by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, there's your H. E stands for explain. And what you're going to do in one or two sentences is kind of write out what you think that verse was talking about in its context. So chapter 3, what, what's the point of this verse, and how would the original audience have heard it? Okay, so my E, again, everyone's is going to be a little different, but my E, my explain, is that God tells the readers that they should press forward in their walk with Jesus 
and not be lazy, and that they should frequently hold one another uh, accountable for pressing forward. Okay, so there's the E. A is apply. This is where you apply it to yourself. Okay, so then you say, okay, what is God saying to me personally through this verse? What, what is God saying to me? For me, again, Hebrews 3.13, this verse tells me that I should specifically encourage the men in my life group and D group on a consistent basis, either through phone calls, texts, or face-to-face meetings. Okay, so that for me, that's the application, real-world application, and then R. Okay, usually R, you can, it's, it stands for response. This is my response. This is how I follow through and obey and actually put it in my life. Sometimes you can put it in terms of a prayer or some kind of statement. Normally, I do a prayer. God, please fill me with a, a deep concern for the spiritual well-being of these men and proactively encouraging them. See, so what I'm doing is I'm reading one chapter a day, but then I'm taking some time to actually reflect. Okay, that, that's, that's called self-feeding. And I want to encourage you, friends, to become a self-feeder. All right? you, you may still be like, man, I don't even know where to begin. That's okay. Talk to Pastor Keith. Talk to myself. We would love to help to disciple you in this area of becoming a self-feeder. There's only one way that you're going to thrive in Babylon, folks, and that is through feeding on God's Word. Just like God said, plant a garden and eat its produce. All right? So God tells us in this passage, first of all, build houses, not tents. He says, plant gardens. Don't go to restaurants and get a handout. Now, here's the third thing. Look in verse 6. Babies, not birth control. All right? Babies, not birth control. It's right there in verse 6. He, he talks to husbands. He talks to wives. He talks to families. And then at the end of the verse, he says, multiply and do not decrease. Now, remember, God's people in Babylon, they, they were a physical people, biological, ethnic you became a, 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 a Israelite by birth, right? And you were birthed into that. So, of course, the birth rate really mattered, didn't it? I mean, because if, if there was not a healthy birth rate among God's people, they had no future in Babylon or beyond. And so God simply reminded them of what he told them way back in the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, what does this have to do with birth rates today? Well, let's talk about physical birth rates, and we're going to talk about spiritual birth rates. So, as you may know... Uh, our Western world, so not just the United States, but generally the Western world and culture in general, there is a birth rate crisis, and America is right in the midst of that birth rate crisis. You may not be aware of some of these numbers, but uh, Professor uh, Rao from Columbia University has said this. John Rao from Columbia University recently said this, for the nation's population re- uh, reproduced, for, for the nation's population to reproduce itself, the total fertility rate needs to be at least 2,100 births per 1,000 women, or just over two children for every woman. In 2021, the rate was 1,663 births per 1,000 women, which was too few babies being born to keep the population stable. All right, now watch this. If the trend isn't halted, meaning if there's not an increase in the birth rate, by 2035, the proportion of people over 65 will be greater than those under 18. That's a significant milestone. That imbalance could overtax, among other things, retirement and health care systems. There's more of a birth rate crisis in our nation than you realize. Now, there's a famous book that came out in the 1990s called Clash of Civilizations. Let's talk about the global 
uh, impact here. Samuel Huntington, probably one of the most famous uh, sociology books of the 1990s, and he talked about the fact that in a post-Cold War world, countries would not go to war with one another, but cultures would go to war with one another. And he identified the two polarities being kind of the Arab Muslim world and the West, okay, meaning like Western Europe and the United States and so forth. Western nations versus Arab and Islamic states and, and, and cultures. Now, there was a, a big argument and all that in the book, but, but, but the one point I want to I emphasize that he made in the book, he said, in many ways, this will come down to a battle of the birth rates. Because while in the Arab and Muslim worlds, there is, there is an increasing birth rate and an incredibly healthy birth rate in a sense, the birth rate in the Western world is dwindling and ultimately it's going to become a merely an academic issue. Right? So in a sense, there, there is a physical birth rate crisis and we would always do well to go back to the book of Genesis and the word of God where it says, be fruitful and multiply, certainly as God blesses. But go back to verse 6. Because in verse 6 of Jeremiah 29, when he says, multiply and do not decrease, I believe the emphasis for us is going to be a spiritual emphasis as well. Spiritual birth rate. That's, that's the issue at hand. You say, well, what's a spiritual birth rate? Well, isn't that, isn't that easy to figure out? I mean, it, it, the spiritual birth rate is all about us leading men and women, boys and girls to Jesus Christ where they would experience personal salvation and the new birth, right? Being born again in Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I talk about the spiritual birth rate. Certainly, yes, you could, you could lead your own biological children to Jesus, but in a broader sense, we're talking about any man, woman, or boy, or girl coming to Jesus Christ. That's the spiritual birth rate. And I will tell you, we are also in a spiritual birth rate crisis. Just as I mentioned the, the physical birth rate crisis, let me point out the spiritual birth rate crisis. Two weeks ago, the latest study came out from the Pew Forum. Watch this. The Pew Research Center said this just two weeks ago. The number of Americans who identify as agnostic, atheist, or don't affiliate with a particular religion has grown dramatically since the 1990s. So that by 2020, so just two years ago, the nation's religious makeup looked like this. So two years ago, this is what America looked like religiously. 64% Christian, 30% unaffiliated, that's that, those are the agnostics, atheists, and so forth, and then 6% members of all other religions. Now understand this, the 64% number com comprises anyone and everyone who claims to affiliate some way with Jesus Christ. This is not just your, you know, your, your Bible-believing, born-again you know, Christian. This could be anything from uh, mainline Protestants to Catholics to Mormons to Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, you name it. Anybody who somehow affiliates with Jesus gets lumped in with this 64%. So don't, don't somehow deceive yourself into thinking those are 64% of the people who are like, no kidding, on fire Jesus followers. Okay. Now, here we go. At the current rate of decline in Christian demographics, by 2070, okay, so a little less than 50 years from now, it will likely look like this, 39% Christian. Again, not all of those are like Bible-believing Christians. 48% unaffiliated and 12% members of all other religions. I, I would tell you I see that and, I, and I, I'm looking at a spiritual birth rate crisis. We, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ is not leading people to Jesus. 
as effectively as we could or should. Now, I go to Tom Rayner, who is a, a church, church uh, leadership expert in a recent article he wrote called The Death of Evangelism. In the Southern Baptist Convention, by the way, which is the denomination with which Crossgate Church affiliates, as you know, annual baptisms, meaning the number of people who follow the Lord in believers' baptism, indicating that they had re received Jesus and had been born again, peaked in 1972, that's 50 years ago, at nearly 450,000. By comparison, annual baptisms in 2019 dropped to approximately 235,000. Okay? Go ahead. The trend is bad, and it is getting worse. The death of evangelism is not limited to the Southern Baptist Convention, though. We are seeing it across all denominational and non-denominational lines. Friends, I will tell you that this, this matter, of, especially of a spiritual birth rate, God has laid a big burden on my heart. As your pastor, I will tell you, God has laid a big burden on my heart. And as I meet with the elders in, in the coming days, and we pray through that and, and talk a lot about that, uh, you can guarantee that it will be a big part of our conversation. You pray for me, pray for the, our elders, pray for our pastors, as, as, as we seek the Lord's will uh, for, for how best to intentionally lean into our uh, community. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment, but let's be a church that wants to be a part of the spiritual birth rate solution. Now, lastly, here's the last thing you're going to see in this passage, and that is this, stocks, not bombs, all right? Stocks, not bombs. You say, don't you mean bonds? No, I mean bombs. I'll explain that to you in just a moment, okay? Look in verse 7. He says, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the, pray for the city. Seek its welfare. Now, when we talk about stocks, not bombs, what we're talking about is investing in the culture around us in a positive way. Okay, investing in the culture around us in the positive way rather than simply cursing and throwing bombs at the culture around us because we don't like what's happening. All right, now our world, as you know, is becoming increasingly dark and things are getting darker and darker and darker and darker. And the temptation, listen, the temptation, certainly for me, I'm sure for a lot of you as well, the temptation, whenever things get super dark, is simply to curse the darkness, curse the darkness, curse the darkness, and point out how much we hate what's going on and, and the people that are behind it and, and all of these things. Here's a couple reasons why we can't let that happen, though. First of which is this, we as a church of Jesus Christ must never be primarily known for what we disagree with and what we're against. You know, you ever been in a church like that? I want to saturate that place with my absence, man. There is no joy. <laughs> there, 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 there is no happiness. It's just, just scowling. Look like they've all been baptized in lemon juice. I mean, just, just scowls on it. Oh, man, they're just bitter people. We must never be known primarily for what we oppose. Second of all, our body is not primarily about social or moral or political issues. We are a theological body that's grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we never forget it. Lastly, another reason why we can't simply just curse the darkness, curse the darkness, and always curse the darkness, okay, is because we must remember that it is ultimately God's goodness and His kindness and His mercy that leads us to repentance. That's what leads us to repentance. 
You will never lead someone to Jesus Christ by cursing the darkness. It'll never happen. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, here, here's a case in point, okay? And this goes back, we're getting into the time machine now, right? I mean, Pastor Rob, we're getting into the time machine, brother. 25 years ago, when this church was still downtown at Second Baptist Church, God was doing a lot of wonderful things in Second Baptist Church, but there was a season some of y'all were, were a part of the church that there was a season when one of the loudest drum beats from from second baptist church was shut down the casino kill the casino get it out of here now is there a time when we should point out that a casino is always a net loss for a community not a net gain <laughs> absolutely okay is, is there a time when we should point out that casinos are in the business of creating losers, not winners? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, is there a time when we should point out that, that, that the collateral damage to a community from a casino is always going to outpace the collateral blessings, be whatever they may? Absolutely. But folks, we must never allow any social or moral or political issue to outpace our preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I say God calls us to, to, to buy stocks and invest in our community, not simply just sit back and throw bombs and throw bombs and throw bombs. You know, I love Pastor Michael Catt, who recently retired after 30 years of, as pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. Uh, th that's the church that produced all these Christian movies that came out in the last 10 years. Fireproof, Courageous, Facing the Giants, Flywheel, just wonderful, wonderful movies. And I love how, how Pastor Michael kind of framed their philosophy of getting into the movie business in a sense. Watch this. Michael Katz said this, we made a radical decision at the time. We wanted to use entertainment to change lives. It was time to stop cursing the darkness and start turning on some lights. It's easy to criticize Hollywood, but we decided to make an effort to have a voice in that culture. Cursing the culture doesn't change it. Showing the difference Christ can make in a person's life will change it. Right? So, I mean, again, we're just, we're just going straight from the Word of God in Jeremiah 29, God's guidance to His people in Babylon. And I'm telling you, it's just as true, just as timeless today as it was thousands of years ago when God's people were in geographical Babylon as we find ourselves in spiritual Babylon uh, today. So you say, Phil, how are we going to invest? How, how are we going to invest in our, in our community? Well, first of all, as, as the Bible tells us in verse 7, we need to pray for our community. We need to pray. We need to be a praying church, specifically to God, but also for our community. Because listen, Prayer is one of the number one ways that God changes our heart. See, prayer is not first and foremost about accomplishing results out there. It's about accomplishing results right here. See, And we, we've got to be a praying church. As a matter of fact, when we get into the book of Daniel uh, in this series, we're going to do a whole message later this month on a praying church in Babylon. Okay, so we're going to talk more about how we're going to become a praying church in Babylon. All right, but, but we've got to be praying for our community. We've got to lower the drawbridge. We, we've got to lower the drawbridge. I will tell you that, that as our world gets darker and darker, there's something inside of me that wants to adopt what I call a castle mentality. I mean, I've got my family. 
we're, we're getting in our castle. I've got my church family. We're just going to get in our castle, pull up the drawbridge, and just, for lack of a better way of saying, let the world go to hell. We're just, we're just going to have our little thing, and we, we're good, and we're just going to just hang out in the castle until Jesus comes. Right? There's only one problem with that. It's not in the Bible. Right? Because you've got to lower the drawbridge and ride out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to do it. You've got to hit the streets. That's something else you've got to do. We cannot simply enjoy this beautiful campus that God has given us week after week after week without going out into the community. That's why one day yesterday was so powerful. Because nothing that happened it one day, to my knowledge, happened on our campus. All of it, 100%, took place out in the community. You've got to go. And I tell you, I mean, I'm st- I still don't have all of the, the data from yesterday. But by all accounts, what, I, what I'm seeing and hearing in the feedback was we had a fantastic day of ministry out in the community. And we connected with people yesterday that probably would have never come to our campus otherwise. And, and, and in some cases would not have even gone to our ministry sites at Cutter Campus. But we, we, we went out. You've got to hit the streets. But you've also got to open your own home. You know, one of the most important things that you can do is show hospitality to the people in Babylon. That's one of the most important things that you can possibly do. And using that home, you know, financial experts will always tell you that your greatest resource and your greatest asset is going to be your home, right? Wherever you live. And so to use that setting to build relationships, and ulti- which ultimately leads to gospel conversations one way or another, you know, we, we, we shortchange the, the, the capacity and the potential when we overlook the power of hospitality in, in, our, in our homes. Uh, we, we had several folks who, who did uh, neighborhood hangouts this summer. I will tell you, those neighborhood hangouts work. We had two people get baptized last week, one of which was a, was a first-time commitment for salvation that came out of neighborhood hangouts, right? I mean, th- those work when you do them. And even though the campaign is over, we no longer have a cooler and a grill out in the lobby in the mall area, I will tell you, there's never a bad time, especially with football. I mean, come on now. That, you talk about the easiest neighborhood hangout ever. Hey, y'all, come on over. Let's watch the Razorbacks. Hey, y'all, come on, come on over. Let's watch the Cowboys, right? Amen, Pastor Rob? Let's watch the Cowboys, or whoever. It's never easier than it is today to invite some people over and simply build bridges and pray that God would allow you to cross those bridges into gospel conversations. Church, we are in Babylon. Like it or not, you may be in a state of denial, as I am to some degree, but we are in Babylon. What are we going to do? We ought to do exactly what God tells us to do. Build houses, become self-feeders, multiply and replicate who we are as followers of Jesus, and invest in and pray for our community. That's got to be the heartbeat of Crossgate Church going forward. Let's pray. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.